The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters. Here is your 5 at 5. We start with selling the deal. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy looking to rally lawmakers around their debt ceiling agreement. We're live in Washington with what's next. And stocks here in the U.S. appearing to be on board with that deal as investors return from that long holiday weekend. Futures are pointing to modest gains. A very different story for Turkey's currency. The lira slumping to new record lows on the re-election of President Erdogan. The latest on this key political development in just a moment. And NVIDIA looking to keep its stock surge rolling, announcing a series of new deals to try to cash in on that big AI boom. And last but certainly not least, we kick off our special series, putting the spotlight on stocks potentially set to pop as we get into the summer. And if it will be a blockbuster season for the studios and for the streamers. It is Tuesday, May the 30th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I hope you enjoyed the long holiday weekend. I'm Frank Holland. Let's kick off the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures as investors return from that weekend. Right now, looking at futures, as we mentioned, we're seeing some moves to the upside here at this point. If it were the markets were to open up, the Dow would open up 75 points higher. We see a good move to the upside for the S&P and the Nasdaq as well. The Nasdaq doing the best out of all of them. We're also checking the bond market on the back of that debt deal out of Washington. Looking at yields, we always begin with the 10-year benchmark right now at 3.74. you got to remember Big move to the upside this month. A lot of anxiety over this deal. The 10-year started the month at 3.43, so big move to the upside. Two-year note, also something to watch. This yield continues to rise even after this tentative deal has been reached. Now at 4.53. Um, at one point this month, it was actually below 4%, the yield on the two-year. We also need to get a check on the short end of the curve, specifically the one month. Remember the one month really spiking to record highs. Right now, the one month at 5804 at one point, it was kind of up at about 6%. We're all seeing the two-month and the three-month definitely elevated, both of them right around 54 All right, getting a check on energy right now is always oil. We begin with oil. Start with the U.S. benchmark, WTI crude, down this morning, down almost 2%, at basically 71 and about, I don't know, 40 cents. It seems to be ticking up right now as we're talking. Brent crude, the international benchmark, at 75.68, also down about 2%. The biggest move is in natural gas, down almost 3% this morning. All right, time now for a check on the action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom. Juliana, I hope you had a great weekend. Good morning. Frank, good morning and welcome back after the long weekend stateside. As for trade overnight in Asia, the majority of regions did trade higher. The Shanghai Composite gained about 10 basis points or so, so not a huge move higher, but positive nevertheless. The Hang Seng broke a four-day losing streak to gain about a quarter of a percent. And the Nikkei 225, which has been on a tear recently, continued higher as well, gaining about 0.3 percent. But it wasn't the Japanese equity market that was in focus in particular overnight. It was the yen. Um, let's take a look at dollar-yen. 
again and where it stands right now. It's in focus as we got an announcement from the Japanese authorities, the Japanese Central Bank, the Ministry of Finance and the Financial Services Agency that they would be holding an emergency meeting this morning. We believe it is ongoing to discuss international financial markets. Not a huge amount of context, but just something to keep an eye on. Right now it's trading around 140. In terms of European markets, I'll take you to those and where we're trading. It's a mixed picture for Europe. We did have a public holiday here in the U.K. yesterday as well. So this is the first day of trade for the FTSE 100. It's down about 13 basis points. We do have some green on the board, though, for the German, Spanish and Italian markets. So, Juliana, I know you're also watching the fallout from some key political developments over the weekend in Turkey and also in Spain. We certainly are, Frank. Let me take you to Turkey first, where the lira has sunk to record lows. This comes after incumbent President Tayyip Erdogan secured another term in power. The victory extends Erdogan's rule into a third decade, leaving many worried about the future of Turkey's economy. Inflation is currently above 40 percent. We think we've got an inflation problem over here. Economists are warning that his low interest rate policies and emergency measures to prop up the lira cannot continue. We're also keeping an eye on Spain. major political developments over the last 48 hours. Spanish Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez has called a snap election in the wake of heavy losses for his left-wing coalition government in regional ballots over the weekend. A national vote had been expected in December, but that has now been brought forward five months, taking place just three weeks after Spain takes over the presidency of the EU in July. The Spanish equity market is trading higher on the back of this news. We're up about six-tenths of a percent. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Juliana Tettelbaum, live in our London newsroom. Now over to Washington and the latest developments around that debt deal. President Biden and House Speaker McCarthy reaching that agreement over the holiday weekend to raise the government's borrowing limit and avoid a potential default. Both leaders now rallying to shore up support within their own parties to get this deal approved. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now with the very latest. Bree, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Well, both sides remain optimistic. The White House, we're told, is working the phones to sell this deal to moderates as well as progressive Democrats. With a bipartisan deal to avoid a government default reached, the focus is now on securing enough votes to get the bill through Congress. I spoke to McConnell. I spoke to uh, a whole bunch of people. And it feels good. The two-year deal suspends the nation's borrowing limit until early 2025, holds non-defense spending flat next year with a 1% increase in 2025, while bumping up military spending, something President Biden wanted. I think President Biden did about the best he could do in a very difficult situation. Republicans are touting wins, including a new Congressional Budget Office estimate projecting the deal would cut spending more than anticipated. But Democrats aren't happy about the deal's expanded work requirements for federal food stamp recipients. I feel like we are being held hostage. We should be in regular order. We should never be in this position again. And yet I cannot and will not be a rubber stamp. Some hardline Republicans also voice concerns. Now they're going to be detractors. Despite pushback, there's optimism. It's going to get through the House. It's going to get through the Senate. It's going to be signed in law by the president. The race is on for Congress to secure votes and get the debt ceiling bill to the president's desk before the June 5th default deadline. And the Rules Committee meets today to process the debt ceiling bill. The measure is expected to go to the full House for a vote on Wednesday. Frank. So, Brie, you say it's expected to get to the full House on Wednesday, but it still has to get past this Rules Committee Is there a chance this agreement will not get past this committee? 
So, Frank, there is a chance. The committee is made up of nine Republicans and four Democrats. Some of the Republicans are those hardline Republicans that have been critical of this bill. So it's possible that those members could kill the plan if they are able uh, to get if the plan does not get Democratic support. Uh, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy was asked about this on Monday, and he says he's not worrying about hypotheticals. All right. Very interesting. Bree Jackson, great to see you as always. Thank you. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Savannah Hanau is here with those. Savannah, good morning. Frank, good Tuesday morning to you. Well, new signs of strains in relations between the U.S. and China. Beijing declining a request by the Pentagon for a meeting between Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and his Chinese counterpart at an annual security summit in Singapore this weekend. Previous reports suggested that China had told the U.S. there was little hope for a meeting between the two as long as the Biden administration maintained sanctions on Lee, which had been imposed by the Trump administration in 2018. Sticking with China, Elon Musk reportedly touching down there this morning. According to Reuters, his private jet has landed in Beijing, marking Musk's first trip to the country in three years. He will reportedly meet with senior Chinese officials and visit Tesla's Shanghai plant. China is Tesla's second largest market, and its Shanghai plant is the EV maker's largest production hub. And for its part, China's foreign ministry this morning said it welcomes Mr. Musk and would like to see other foreign investors operate in the country. And HSBC seeking a fresh start for the British arm of Silicon Valley Bank. According to Sky News, the bank will announce it is renaming the UK arm of SVB to HSBC Innovation Banking. The report adds that the new name will formally be unveiled during London Tech Week in mid-June, Frank. All right, Savannah, now we'll see you later on the show. Thank you very much. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today, plus much more on the key takeaways from the Biden-McCarthy debt plan and whether potential hurdles could be lurking in getting this deal over the finish line. And we lay out the potential impact that agreement could have on the markets and on your money, including a possible liquidity drain. And not feeling that AI craze, Investopedia's Caleb Silver is here to break down why the red-hot tech is getting a lukewarm reception from retail investors. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones... Our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at futures on the back of that debt ceiling agreement. We're seeing the Nasdaq, the best performer right now, up about a percent. 
The Dow right now, if it were open up at this time, would open up almost 100 points higher. The S&P, the laggard technically, but still well in the green, up over a half a percent right now. All right, investors turning their attention from the debt ceiling to the economic data and the Fed. Today, we're awaiting the S&P Case-Shiller Home Price Index and Consumer Confidence figures. Tomorrow, we have the ADP and JOLTS employment data, along with the release of the Fed Beige Book on Thursday. More data on jobs, the weekly initial jobless claims. We also get ISM manufacturing numbers. Then on Wednesday, we get the big monthly jobs report. For much more on this busy trading week ahead, I'm joined by Seema Shah, Chief Global Strategist as Principal Asset Management. Seema, good morning. Great to see you as always. Good morning. So I think we have to just start with the, the news of today, that debt, dealing, uh, debt ceiling deal framework. It's the framework. It's not done just yet. How are you looking at this? How concerned are you about the possibility of it going to Rules Committee and maybe not passing? So we have very limited concern about that. You know, I think the negotiation was probably the, the toughest part. Um, and now we've moved past that hurdle. I think there is a little bit of optimism, certainly in the market. You can see that there's been a slight rally um, as I look forward to the idea that this has been uh, we won't have to be facing this again, at least for another two years. So not much concern. But of course, now um, it's turning back to the really fundamental factors that were facing the U.S. economy even before the debt ceiling saga began. So very interesting there. So one other thing I want to talk to you about right now is uh, the Fed. So let's just say hypothetically, this debt ceiling deal is done and we can move past this. We have a Fed meeting coming up in two weeks. A lot of thoughts about what the Fed might do. When you look at the CME FedWatch tool, it's kind of a split decision on whether we're going to see a pause or a hike. What's your opinion? Do you believe that a, a pause, is that critical to see an upside move when it comes to the markets? I think the market would be very concerned if they see another hike coming from the Fed. And it has been interesting because really the market has moved um, up and down about this for the last couple of weeks, you know, initially suggesting that a pause is almost a fully um, given certainty. And then with the last couple of weeks, as you started to see quite hot economic data, higher than expected inflation, some of those concerns have started to return. And now you have a, over a greater than 50 percent chance of a hike priced in by the market. Um, it won't take too kindly for that, because I think there is a lot of hope in the market at the moment that not only would you see a pause, but you could even see rate cuts starting within a couple of months. So that would undo a lot of the optimism. All right. One other thing we're also concerned about, even with the possibility of a deal, is the U.S. credit rating being downgraded. Um, all three of the big rating agencies have put out basically a warning for the U.S. credit rating. So if the brinkmanship is pushed us to the point where we're going to get a warning, what is this marriage of convenience? What does it not only mean for our credit rating? What does it mean for the markets going forward when it comes to the debt limit deal? Well, it is quite interesting because when the when the U.S. Uh, was downgraded um, a number of years ago, See, the market response was, was very negative, but it did pass quite quickly. Um, I think the important thing is, you know, get this um, deal done. And then even if there is a default, of course, it would be, not be a positive um, development for the market, but it would move on fairly quickly and again, return to the other more fundamental factors facing um, the U.S. right now. Um, now, certainly, given that we have moved forward with this, the ideal situation is that that downgrade does not come. But it's something that we need to just keep an eye out for. All right. One other question. When you look at bonds right now, are you still focused or and I'm not going to say you, but do you think investors should still be focused on the short end of the bond curve right now with the one month providing that yield? Or is it now the time to maybe lock in that yield with a longer term bond? It's a great question. So I think now that we've moved past the immediate concerns, you are starting to see a lot of interest again within that short area. For us, actually, the broad fixed income market seems very interesting. Um, and again, not just in terms of treasuries, 
but even as you look across to the investment grade market. So I think there are a lot of opportunities um, and it really depends which security you're looking at. But again, across the curve, there are interesting opportunities. Yeah, I think a lot of people are looking at those longer bonds right now, especially the 20 year, seeing its yield move up about one and a quarter percent just this month. Seema Shah, always great to see you. Thank you for your insight and your time. All right, coming up here on WAX, NVIDIA looking to build on the monumental May it's been having so far with shares up 40%. The new deals by the chip maker, potentially pushing it towards that $1 trillion club. Much more Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Heading into a new trading week, AI stocks coming in hot with a ton of momentum at their backs. Just look at these one-week gains and what also happened to be last week's top NASDAQ 100 leaders. We're talking names like Marvell Tech, up 44%. NVIDIA, up 25%. Hard to believe it's only 25%. And AMD, up 20%. And live on CNBC.com right now, one technical indicator shows chip makers are some of the most overbought sectors on Wall Street. But don't think. It's a meme stock. Reddit rebellion craze all over again. According to the latest data from Vandetrack, retail traders are actually sitting on the sidelines in the recent AI rally. And institutional investors, they are the ones driving the gains, at least for now. With more insight, let's bring in Investopedia editor-in-chief Caleb Silver. Caleb, you're in the house. Great to have you right here. Good to be here. So anybody that goes on social media has seen a lot of posts, people talking about buying NVIDIA. In fact, our mutual friend and influencer Ian Dunlap has been one of the biggest proponents. But you're saying that's anecdotal. The actual data shows that retail investors aren't that excited about all this AI. Yeah, where did everybody go? Because retail trading volume is really low right now. It's about half of its levels from where it was in January, where it was actually peaking. But also searches around stocks, stock trading, meme stocks, NVIDIA, AI stocks, pretty low. And stock uh, searches in general, if you look at Google Trends or at Investopedia, which is a good proxy for it, much lower than it was at the beginning of the year, much lower than it was in the last two years. All right, so... A lot of excitement about AI, but how does it compare to some of the peaks in the market during the pandemic? Um, We mentioned the Reddit rebellion and that whole meme stock craze. That was just its own thing. But in general, during the pandemic, we saw elevated trading with all this interest about AI and the thought it could disrupt. What are we seeing from retail traders overall? We're seeing them nibble a little bit because there's always interest, especially among our readers. These are active traders, retail investors who want to put money to work. They're looking for a theme. So we just started to see top AI stocks creep up in our top searches. We've seen top NASDAQ ETF, top NASDAQ stocks start to creep up. But generally, Frank, people have been playing defense. Defense wins championships, as we know. <laughs> but you've got to have offense, especially in the face of this rally. Look at the NASDAQ 100. Look at these chip stocks. A lot of retail investors sitting back. 
I thought you were about to make a Miami Heat reference. But uh, you didn't. No, let's right. let it be. All right. So let's talk about what they're searching for. Generally, what people are searching for it tends to be where they put their money or at least they're thinking about put their money. What are the top searches on your site? Well, people, as I said, have been playing defense. So they've been looking for the top CDs, both the three-month all the way to 18 months. Where's the safe place to put their money? But don't forget, that whole banking crisis and the bank failures got a lot of people back on their heels, not really trusting financial institutions, not really trusting the money. So they're looking for that. They're looking for uh, high-yield savings accounts still. Again, a lot of defense being played here, and they're starting to nibble again at AI, starting to nibble at NASDAQ stocks. But generally, people are like, I'm not so sure here. There's still some anxiety, and it's personal finance related. All right, so rationalize this for me. I'm looking at some of your data. Some of the top searches are top NASDAQ ETFs, but generally those are growth stocks. So are, are you saying retail investors are seeing tech and growth stocks it's playing defense? Yeah, well, if you look at their top stocks that they hold, they hold the big mega caps. NVIDIA is one of them, mm-hmm. and especially right now, but it's Apple, it's Microsoft, right? They're, they go to the home cooking, the big mega cap tech stocks where they feel safe. So that's part of the playing defense. They consider those, in some cases, safe havens or value stocks. But in general, it's where's the safest place to put my money where I'm going to earn some yield over the next 6 to 12 to 18 months. All right, so it is all about yield. So what are your readers and the people who visit your site, what do they think about bonds right now? So we're seeing short-term bonds elevated. We're seeing long-term bonds elevated. Where do they want to kind of put their money, or at least where are they thinking about putting their money? Yeah, well, boring is sexy right now. So they're <laughs> putting it in bonds. They're putting it in savings accounts. Yes, some people are trying to get back into the market. We have a lot of active investors, but they have been as cautious as they've been for the past 12 months. We monitor them through our uh, sentiment survey. We do it every two months. They're as defensive as they've been over the past six to 12 months, and they've done that, been that way in the face of a pretty good rally here. So hopefully they'll start playing a little offense because there's a lot going on right now in the, in the stock market. All right, so today we're all about the debt deal. I know that's one of the top searches. The thing we're going to probably talk about at the end of this week, assuming the deal gets done, is the Fed. What do your readers think or what are they looking up when it comes to the Fed? Yeah, they're always wondering what the next move is going to be with the Fed. They're looking at the Fed Watch tool we've pointed out all the time, but they're always asking that question. What happens when the Fed either continues to raise interest rates or stops? They're looking at what happens next over the horizon. So I think a lot of people are hoping that there may be a pause right here and they want to put money to work because they really haven't been for the past six to 12 months. Caleb Silver, great to have you in the house, man. I'm give you the Good pound to be right here. now. The pound is Good back. to see you. Don't leave me hanging, man. John Ford left me hanging one time. All right. Great to see you. Thank you again. Thank you. All right. Still on deck here on Worldwide Exchange. The next steps in the debt ceiling deal, the potential fight facing Speaker McCarthy and his agreement with President Biden to get this whole deal over the finish line. Much more Worldwide Exchange back after the break. It is right around 530 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we are just getting started here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. President Biden and Speaker McCarthy set to get to work selling their deal to raise the debt ceiling to lawmakers. Our Kayla Tausche is standing by with whether the hard work is just beginning for these two leaders. Markets here in the U.S. getting their first chance to react to that agreement following that long holiday weekend. Futures are pointing to gains ahead of the open. And NVIDIA looking to build on last week's post-earning stock surge, announcing a pair of deals to help cash in on the AI boom. It is Tuesday, May the 30th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. I hope you had a great holiday weekend. Let's get it started. Let's pick up a half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. As we mentioned, futures pointing to gains this morning. 
Right now, we are seeing a positive trend right now. So the Dow looks like it opened up about 90 points higher. It was just a few points higher just a minute ago. But you see that that upside move. The Nasdaq doing the best out of all of them, up about a percent this morning. The S&P up just around a half a percent this morning as well. So overall, a strong start. But as we always say, it's early. We got a long way before the opening bell. We're also checking the bond market on the back of that debt deal out of Washington. As always, we begin with the 10-year, the benchmark. The 10-year note at 3.72. you got to remember, it started May at about 3.43, so a big swing to the upside. Even more movement when it comes to the two-year note. Right now at 4.52%. Big move as we've come closer and closer to that so-called X date. That's now been moved to June 5th, according to Secretary Yellen and the Treasury, but still imminent. So that deal is critical when it comes to the market, something we continue to watch. We also need to check on the short end of the curve. With the one month right now, we're seeing it come in at 5.80. This is historically elevated, of course, but at one point it was actually above 6%, so it has ease from those highs. We're also seeing the two-month and the three-month at just about 5.4, a couple of basis points variance there. All right, time now for a check on this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is back with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank, I am back. All right, so NVIDIA's red-hot run over the last week continues with a series of deals for the chip maker. NVIDIA and MediaTek announcing they will collaborate on technology to power advanced infotainment systems within vehicles. Under the deal announced at a tech trade show in Taiwan, MediaTek will use NVIDIA's graphic processing unit chip as well as its software into the chips it supplies to automakers. Meanwhile, NVIDIA also announcing that it will build Israel's most powerful AI cloud supercomputer. The company says that production on the system is expected to start by the end of this year, and the system is expected to be one of the world's fastest AI supercomputers. Prosecutors are asking a federal judge to deny a request by Sam Bankman-Fried to dismiss criminal charges in connection to the collapse of FTX. Now, Earlier this month, Bankman Freed asked the judge to dismiss most of the counts, arguing prosecutors charged him in a rush to judgment following last year's crypto crash. In a filing yesterday, prosecutors argued SBF's claims were meritless. And Tesla further expanding access to its supercharging network. Canada's government revealing the company plans to open access to some of its existing stations there to other EV brands starting later this year. The move coming after Tesla last week announced Ford EV drivers will have access to 12,000 North American superchargers starting next spring, Frank. All right. Apparently big news to investors. Tesla shares up about two and three quarters of a percent. Savan Hanau, great to see you. Thank you. All right, now to those developments around the debt limit deal. President Biden, House Speaker McCarthy, reaching that agreement to raise the government's borrowing limit and avoid a potential default over the holiday weekend. But the pair's work just getting started as they now face the job of rallying support for the plan and then getting it through Congress. Our Kayla Tausche joins us now. Kayla, good morning. Always great to see you. You've had your finger on the pulse of this story. What are the next steps for this agreement? Well, Frank, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, they brokered a two-year deal to raise the debt ceiling in exchange for lower spending levels. And now they are racing to sell their respective parties 
on the deal before the June 5th default deadline. The agreement would see flat spending next year and cap growth at 1% in 2025. Military spending would rise 3% this year. $21 billion would be reallocated from the IRS to elsewhere. And food stamps or SNAP recipients would need to work until age 54. Those are all step downs from original Republican proposals, which President Biden said represented a compromise. The agreement also represents a compromise, which means no one got everything they want. But that's the responsibility of governing. Now comes the hard part, getting lawmakers on board. With each party's base up in arms, Republicans have uh, committed 150 votes and Democrats would need to deliver about 70. Some progressives have said they'll vote for it grudgingly. Others say Democrats have an earful for the White House. I expect to have to hold the phone out here uh, based on what we're going to hear from some of our progressive members. Uh, so it is far from over the finish line yet. And of course, if it doesn't go over the finish line, then I think we're going to see the kind of market reaction that none of us want to see. The bill today must overcome some GOP opposition on the powerful House Rules Committee before it can advance to see a vote tomorrow. Some in the Senate have vowed to hold up the process there, and that was all before the contents were made public. It remains to be seen how quickly it can move now. But of course, uh, Frank, principals say time is of the essence and they're working to get everyone on board. Yeah, Kelly, as you mentioned, you said this is the hard part. A lot of opposition within Congress to this agreement. You played some sound bites. You also heard from Debbie Dingell from Michigan earlier saying she would not be a rubber stamp. Is there a chance this bill does not make it to the president's desk? Well, it's hard to know how much of that is posturing and how much of that means that these lawmakers are real no's behind the scene. Is uh, Congresswoman Dingell just waiting for a call from the White House to walk her through some of the areas of the agreement where she has some trepidation? Um, or is she actually committed to voting against it? That's what remains to be seen. And I know that there's a lot of work being done behind the scenes. Outreach by the White House top officials who negotiated this deal to try to get them on board. Clearly, Democrats have more opposition than Republicans. The um, hardline conservative Freedom Caucus had always throughout the negotiation said anything less than the bill that they passed in late April was not enough for them. Um, but clearly, uh, leadership was taking that into account when they negotiated this and still believes they have 150 votes, Frank. All right, Kayla Tausche, live from D.C. Thank you very much. Well, as Kayla just spelled out, there's still some hurdles for this bill to clear with a June 5th deadline to raise the debt ceiling looming pretty large. Let's talk about the next step with Steve Pavlik, partner and head of policy at Renaissance Macro Research. Steve, great to have you here. Yep. Thank you for having me, Frank. All right. I think we got to pick off where Kayla left off. This deal still has to get through Congress, specifically the Rules Committee. That's one place where a lot of people are flagging it could get tied up. How concerned are you about this deal actually making it through Congress? I'm not that concerned at this point. I think it's going to sail through the Rules Committee. Maybe I shouldn't use the term sail, but like you have nine Republicans, four Democrats. Uh, I think you have two conservative Republicans that expect to oppose it anyway, already sort of come out and express their frustration. I don't see all four Democrats opposing it, so I don't think it's going to be in jeopardy today. So that probably sets up a floor vote on the House probably after the market closes tomorrow. Uh, again, I think the math that Kayla laid out is pretty accurate. And the burn's going to be on, I think, President Biden more than Speaker McCarthy to deliver a lot of those Democrats. I have faith that, you know, at the end of the day that he'll be able to do that. Speaker McCarthy will deliver the Republicans. I expect at that point it will eventually pass the Senate. 
debate could drag into the weekend. Uh, there's a chance we may rub up against that Monday, June 5th deadline. I think there's some question still as to whether or not that may be an overly conservative uh, estimate. You know, I worked at Treasury Department. We did tend to provide a very conservative estimate with respect to the X date. If forced, we could even use prioritization to pay bondholders if needed just for another day or two to allow the legislative uh, mechanics just to sort of work their way through. But I don't really think we're at risk of a serious default here. And I think that's good news. All right, Steve, I don't know if sales uh, an improper metaphor to use because we could hit some choppy waters, especially in the Rules Committee. And as we mentioned, we heard some Congress people already saying they're going to push back. So you hit on something I really wanted to talk to you about. You said this might drag on. So the longer this goes, even though we have some more breathing room with the now X date, with the X date now at June 5th, are we in danger of our credit rating being downgraded with all three of the big agencies flagging that they are looking at uh, these negotiations and potentially looking to downgrade the U.S. credit rating? I don't think we should be in that position at this point, because I think the fact that we're talking about a deal, this is a lot of posturing. A lot of members want to try to secure something in exchange for their vote. That's nothing new. Both sides do that. I think moving forward, there should be more concern because the debt limit's not going away. Both sides need this because a political party that is not in control of the White House uses this as leverage. You have Republicans using it now to get spending concessions with Democrats using it when Trump was in the White House to get spending increases. So that's just the way the game is played. But I think the bigger concern is we look at greater polarization, more gerrymandering. The incentives just aren't there for a lot more moderate members to come to Congress. And so these ultimately are the folks that need to come together to reach a bipartisan deal to avoid default. And as those trends continue, I think that's the bigger risk moving forward. But your point with respect to a default downgrade, I don't really see that uh, in the cards right now. All right. A lot of people breathing a sigh of relief to hear you say that. I want to talk to you about the market impact of all this. How do you see these negotiations and deal impacting the bond market? We see elevated yields on the short end of it. We see elevated yields on the long end of it. I pointed out the 20 year earlier, rising one and a quarter percent when it comes to yield just in May. I think the big thing with respect to the market is just to be removing some uncertainty here. I mean, talking is better than not talking. So I think that's encouraging. Treasury is going to have to refill its coffers. But I think at that point, they might have to offer some attractive um, interest rates in order to provide uh, you know, a good market there for uh, participants. But if you're anticipating that interest rates may even start to decrease moving forward, I, I think there's going to be a, enough appetite there. So I think that's probably, again, good news moving forward here. All right, Steve Pavlik, we all leave the conversation there. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate your insight. Thank all right, you coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our special series. Putting the spotlight on stocks, potentially set to pop this summer, it kicks off. Looking at whether this year's lineup of movie blockbusters will provide some sunny signals for the entertainment industry. But first, as we had to break, some of your top trending stories. Bloomberg reporting that Apple, Fox, and Netflix have emerged as potential suitors in the competitive bid over future NBA streaming rights. Those rights are expected to cost over $5 billion a year. Sticking with streaming, India's Geo Cinema reportedly breaking the record for the most concurrent views for a live streaming event with more than 32 million simultaneous views for its cricket tournament finale. That tops the long-standing milestone set by Disney's hot star, NBC Universal, the parent of CNBC, has a content streaming partnership with Geo. And Queen's music catalog could reportedly sell for over $1 billion in a sale from Disney Music Group to Universal Music Group. CNN says the deal is expected to close within a month. Much more Worldwide Exchange, back in a moment.
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet, where we check on the few of the morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks you likely own. We begin with Jefferies upgrading Ford, raising its rating from hold to buy and its price target from $13 to $16. Jefferies says last week's investor event has raised its confidence the automaker has the right team in place to fix what it calls a, quote, deficit of execution. Looking at shares of Ford this morning, up 3%. And Roth MKM upgrading its rating and price target for Boston Beer Company, shifting it to a buy with a price target of more than $317. Roth citing the summer months and its seltzer and truly offerings benefiting from Bud Light's recent share losses. Boston Beer unchanged. All right, Memorial Day serving as the unofficial kickoff to summer. We'll be spotlighting various sectors in their stocks throughout this summer. This week, we turn our focus to entertainment and leisure. What a way to start. And we start with Hollywood. The Little Mermaid makes a big splash in the box office, Disney's live-action remake of the animated classic, taking in roughly $118 million in the U.S. and Canada over the weekend. That's according to Comscore. That's the fifth highest total for Memorial Day weekend. Hollywood has already had a pretty decent run-up to the summer movie season, with audiences hitting the theater for blockbusters like Super Mario Brothers, Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which I thought was excellent, and Fast 10. Let's discuss this and the stocks that may benefit with Alicia Reese, Senior VP of Equity Research at Wedbush. Alicia, great to see you. Hi, thanks for having me. All right, let's talk about The Little Mermaid. A lot of talk about it, a lot of controversy even, a lot of hype. It had the fifth best Memorial Day weekend ever, beating out what we saw back in 2019 before the pandemic and the movie industry got disrupted. What does that give you when it comes to a sense of how this summer movie season is going to go? Yeah, I think it bodes well. Um, quite a few movies so far. Um, the performances voted quite well for um, what's upcoming. A couple of the things I would point out is that family movie fair, um, there's a ton of demand for it. Super Mario Brothers, uh, Little Mermaid, two examples, uh, Minions before that. There's just a lot of pent-up demand, and there hasn't been a lot of um, movies for families to go see. So the ones that are coming out are getting a lot of traction by and large. Um, but we have a lot more coming, um, not just over the movie, but over the, or the summer, but over the coming year. Another thing that I'd point out is that, you know, people are really going to see movies in premium large format screens. Initially, we thought that was a lot of just pent up demand for um, going back to the movies post pandemic. Um, but this has been a lasting trend. And it's really increased the box office in a way that, um, you know, couldn't happen. Uh, otherwise, you know, that movie theaters don't have to raise prices, people are just going to see those, you know, the movies in large format screens. And they're also buying more concessions. So all of these trends are voting well for for the movie theaters uh, post-pandemic and as we move into, you know, the summer months of 2023. Yeah, it's hard to resist that movie theater popcorn, Alicia. When you haven't had it in a while <laughs> and you come back, you forget how good it is. So you're talking a little industry jargon here, large format screens. What do you mean by that? And is there a way for investors to play this trend that you believe yeah. is pretty sustainable? Sure. All of the theaters have their own proprietary large format screens, um, by and large, but IMAX and Dolby are the big names in the business. IMAX, um, the largest by far. They do a lot of um, remastering of the content for the theaters, and they have their own proprietary screens. Um, it's a great stock, great way to, um, you know, play this trend. And also they have some, you know, real, you know, global footprint growth potential remaining. And so it's, it's, there's a lot of upside left in the stock in our, in our view. All right. Very interesting. So IMAX, that, that was kind of out of the box. What's your take on the other movie companies, uh, Cinemark, AMC, uh, what's your rating? Sure. So we have an outperform rating on Cinemark. Um, they have 
um, a pretty decent um, balance sheet situation post-pandemic. They didn't materially increase their deposition, but they are very focused on repaying what they did um, take out during the pandemic. And they're trying to get to, a, you know, the right sizing very quickly. We think they'll return to repaying, uh, to paying their dividend quickly. Um so we have an outperform rating on them. We have an underperform rating on AMC, largely because of you know its mean stock status. You know right. it has a lot of debt on the um, balance sheet. They do have to pay that back, but they're going to have to issue shares in order to do that. And their um, you know retail shareholder base is um, a, a bit fickle with them um, issuing more shares. So we do have an underperform rating on them at this time. All right, Alicia Reese, we got to leave the conversation there. Thank you so sure. much for your time and your insight. Likewise. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. We got Steve Grasso standing by to lay out a very busy trading week ahead with the debt deal, key economic reports, and the Fed. All of them on top of investors' minds, the key drivers that he's watching. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. Much more Worldwide Exchange, a.k.a. WEX, after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Live shots from around the world this morning. We're looking at London, Hong Kong, New York, and Washington, of course, where that debt limit deal will be discussed in depth today. And right now, we also want to check the futures right now. As we mentioned, the futures moving higher this morning. Look at the Nasdaq, the best performer, up over a percent. The Dow off of its highs of earlier, but it's still open up about 90 points higher at this point. The S&P solidly in the green. All right, time now for your what we like to call your WEX wrap-up. Six stories that you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with China declining a request by the Pentagon for a meeting between Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin and his Chinese counterpart. That request is for a meeting at an annual security summit in Singapore this weekend. Sticking with China, Elon Musk reportedly touching down there this morning. According to Reuters, his private jet has landed in Beijing, marking Musk's first trip to the country in three years. He will reportedly meet with senior Chinese officials and visit Tesla's Shanghai plant. And the Turkish lira slumping to an all-time low today, another all-time low, extending its slide after the re-election of the country's incumbent president. Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes set to report to prison today to begin her sentence at a minimum security prison in Texas. Holmes is expected to serve an 11-year sentence. And one of the five members of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' hand-picked Disney oversight board reportedly resigning just three months after taking the job. The cause for that resignation has not been confirmed. And the summer travel season starting off pretty strong with more than 42 million Americans traveling this Memorial Day weekend. That's levels not seen since before the pandemic. And we're gearing up for the trading day ahead. On the economic front, we get the S&P Shiller Home Price Index, May Consumer Confidence Figures, and manufacturing numbers from the Dallas Fed. Then in earnings, we get Box, Hewlett Packard Enterprise, and HP, all of them set to report. We've also got a speech from Richmond Fed President Tom Barkin later this afternoon. As we just spelled out, very busy trading day and week on tap. Let's lay out what you need to watch and the moves you need to make with your money. We have the one and only Steve Grasso, CEO of Grasso Global and a CNBC contributor. Steve, great to see you, man. Hope you had a great weekend. Good to see you, Frank. I hope you did the same. All right. We just laid it all out, Steve. So I think we want to jump right into this. What is your WEX word of the day? So it's got to be deal, Frank, right? Everyone was uh, leaning on it was either... Fed or debt ceiling uh, as of late where the market was going to be going. So I would say that the word of the day has to be deal. And I'm not sure if you want to put a question mark there. 
because never count out Congress to give you a little bit of worries in the in the ninth inning. All right. So, I mean, you might want to put a question mark there. We laid out that it still has to get through the rules committee. And there's a lot of Democrats that seem to be pushing back. So let's just assume this deal is done right now. Let's do this. What do you think about the next hurdle for the markets, the Fed? Are you expecting a pause? We've been looking at the CME FedWatch tool. We're only seeing about a 37 percent chance of a pause. And the majority of people believe we're going to see another hike. Yeah, I think the Fed is concentrating on giving the market what the market will bear. So I personally believe they should have paused already. They haven't, obviously. And I think that they're going to push it a little bit. If they see the market reacting well right now, Frank, they might try to actually maybe get a little more ammo for when the market turns down. So even though a lot of Fed governors say pause, maybe they want to push it one more time. So we've been looking at the markets all morning long, the futures, I should say, all morning long. We're seeing the Nasdaq, the best performer on the back of that debt ceiling agreement. Not a deal yet, as you mentioned, might be deal with a question mark. Um, A lot of people are concerned about the concentration of tech in the markets and the fact that it's been a couple stocks just really moving the market higher. Um, Your research shows right now uh, tech's 29 percent of the S&P. Historically, it's about 20 percent. Are you one of those people that's concerned? Are you concerned that this morning, again, we're seeing tech show that leadership? Yeah, it's a great point. You know, there's a lot of uh, people pushing back and everyone's trying to find a reason. I, I, I think and you probably agree with this. Every time we get a rally, it's, it seems like it's the most unloved rally on Wall Street. And the latest one, you know, we've had earnings sort of, uh, you know, move sideways or so, but everyone thought they were going to fall off a cliff. That didn't happen. Now the latest thing, everyone's worried about the concentration in large cap tech. Historically, for the last 40 years or so, we've had a 20 percent uh, weighting of large cap tech in the industry. And when you when you look at it, what are the reasons why you have a 29 percent now? You have all the bank uh, failures or, uh, you know, uh, or the question marks around the banks. So people want to put their money into what they deem as safety stocks. Then look at the high rate environment. Is it likely or less likely that you're going to have disruptors in that space? It's less likely in a high rate environment. So they sort of, I don't know if you want to call it a moat, but they sort of have some protection around those large cap tech stocks. So large cap tech has been probably the safest it's been in years. Now, will it contract and will it become closer to that 20% mark? Probably. And you probably see a little bit of a, of a risk uh, off trade coming out of this debt ceiling when it does get officially passed. But I wouldn't worry about the 29% waiting right now, Frank. All right, so you're not worried about that, but you think it's going to normalize, get closer back to 20%. So what stocks are impacted? Do you believe that AI stocks are the place where people might profit take and might see declines? And do you believe that AI is a bubble? Yeah, so I, I believe that the first place people are going to look for is the froth that's in the market uh, and that's probably around AI, but AI is definitively the next leg, uh, a substantial leg that's going to have some longevity to it. Look at a stock like NVIDIA, through the roof, spiked higher. You, you wouldn't even recommend in a normal environment buying a stock that's up that much. But the truth is, Frank, they hold 90% of the market share in AI. It's theirs to lose. So if they continue on the path and AI becomes what we think it's going to become, and we don't have any reason to believe it's not going to become that, 
then they're going to be the true benefit of that. They were a gaming stock, then a data center stock. Now they're an AI stock. So there's a lot of uh, plays around that. And every company is going to announce an AI angle, whether it's a car company or whether it's a retail company. So I think this does have legs to it. I don't think it's a bubble. All right, Steve Grasso, great to see you. Thank you again for your insight and for being here. All right, before we let you guys go, we're going to take one last look at the futures right now. We're seeing the NASDAQ, the best performer, up over 1%. The S&P up over a half a percent. The Dow off of its highs, but still looking like it would open up about 85 points higher at this point. All right, that does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.